Hi, this is Joe Satriani, and you're listening to Signal to Noise. Welcome to episode 42 of the Signal to Noise podcast. I'm your host, Aaron, and with me today, I have some special guests. So, Sue Decree is with us again. She's been on, what, every other episode now, I think, Sue? I, I think so. I think, hey, how's everybody? Thanks for joining us. Um, yeah, I think I'm getting to be a regular fixture here. That could be dangerous. And very, then, very dangerous. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. And then we also have Klaus Levine. Klaus, did I pronounce your last name right? Yeah, you can do it that way. But, you know, in, in Denmark, <laughs> What's the proper way? <laughs> it's just Levine. Levine? <laughs> yeah, it's sort of. Yes, it's it's as close as you can get. Yes, sure. it sounds French, but it's actually a Jewish name that my dad had as a you know first name. But All right, say it again. It's Klaus Levine. Levine. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's it's pretty Levine. Is, yeah. It's it's good enough. All it's right. Perfect. I'll, I'll practice for yeah. next time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's good. Yeah, and I've, I've been teaching for almost all my life, but have a lot of different businesses and been playing guitar for, like, what is it now? <sighs> 30 years? Yeah, I think it is. No, it's not. It's 36 years. So, yeah. Um, but had a had an intense uh, period of practicing uh, when I was 16, from 16 to 19, I think, and that's what we're primarily going to speak to talk about today, what yeah. happened there. Yeah. All right, so um, yeah. Sue here subscribes to Klaus's um, teaching site, I guess, is the best way to put it. And she gets the emails, and she shared one with me. And Klaus basically, um, I, I guess called shenanigans would be the best thing to say here, on everyone who says that you know they've been practicing 10 to 12 hours a day and all that sort of stuff. So, Klaus, you want to give us a little bit of background on that email? Yeah, you know, it, it's like every every single virtuoso guitarist or instrumentalist has this story seemingly of having practiced an inhumane amount of hours each a day and i used to carry that story around with me and but suddenly i realized that that it was hurting my students because it's it it puts up a standard of performance that is absolutely impossible and i have i have to explain what i mean by that kind of intensity in your practice schedule because um you can practice all day if you want to you can just sit around in your couch and you know noodle around on your instrument or 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 you know look into theory and stuff like that that's not what i'm talking about because what i'm talking about is the kind of practicing that you need in order to get to that extra level of virtual you know when you really when people look at your technique and go that's incredible that's alien like technique and to get there you really need those periods of high intensity um but it's periods of high intensity and what i realized suddenly was that i always remember the exceptions to the rule when i remember a year if you ask anyone and say okay what do you remember from 2015 then most people can only remember the exceptions to the daily routine. And so when I remember those three years of intense practicing, what I remember was those weeks, those months, where I just practiced like a maniac. But I could in no way keep that up uh, because it was just too intense and everything else in my life was just on hold. 
school, uh, sleep, <laughs> stuff like that. Uh, and that's what happens when, you, when you're that passionate about something. Um, and so I, I, really, I really looked at that again, and I started looking more re- realistically on it. And I was also asking myself, why did I come up with that story? Because, and the reason, of course, is that it's a good story. It's a story of me who, you know, I climbed this huge mountain of work and I put in the effort and now I have the reward. And you can do that as well if you're a superhero. But it was just not true. And it was not motivating my students at all because it was, you know, just too much. Um, So that's why I wrote the the little email there. (laughs) And I've gotten some pretty pretty harsh... uh, uh, answers to it from people who felt threatened, and that's the sure sign that you that you're onto something very important or or true or real is that people react to it negatively because you threaten their own story of their you know their walk towards greatness. Um, so that was just where it all started. You know, and that's funny because I read that email, and my yeah. first thought was. Well, of course I practice that much. Well, now, wait a minute. Um, Well, if I take into account the fact that I was in high school during those years and there's eight hours of my day gone plus travel back and forth and I had a job and there's a couple hours gone plus travel back and forth plus sleeping, you make that like two or three hours a day. Yeah. And then half, sometimes I, yeah. Half of which was probably actual practice. And the other half of which was probably, I'm tired of practicing. I'm just going to noodle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And to be fair, when we were younger, we didn't need as much sleep. No. We should have been doing it, but we really didn't need it. Because I know like I could sleep, you know, four or five hours a night, get up, still go for 12 hours the next day and do it all again. Yeah. Yeah. But, but again, to be fair, I, I did. I did have, and I. I really, when people ask me about the level of skill uh, that I have, and and what's the what's really the key? Because you know you can do a lot of things. There's a lot of things you can do. There's a lot of things you can practice, and there's a lot of ways in which you can practice. But what really makes the whole difference between whether or not you stay at a level, which is cool, which is awesome, just being a really, really uh, great musician. First of all, to get to that skill, you have to use 50% of your time. It's just dedicated to technique. And that means you can't really practice any other things in that period of time. So it's as hard to learn to play inhumanely fast and precise or accurate as it is to learn every other thing that you need to learn in order to become a really well-rounded really a competent musician. So that's the first choice really in whether people are really willing to spend that much time just for that one little thing of being able to, you know, exceed, you know, because that, that's just, it's just a thing you can do when you solo or whatever. But in order to get to that, I really do believe that you need to have that kind of intensity in your practice schedule. You have to have that inhumane practice schedule for where your passion really is very high and you practice like, because I, I practiced some weeks, I really, I clocked on like four or six hours of practice when I got home from school and then eight hours of practice every, you know, in the, in the weekends on Saturday and Sunday, maybe for two weeks in a row, maybe just one week. Or I had a month where I was really, all I was thinking about was that. I was just constantly practicing picking techniques, even if I didn't, if I wasn't around my instrument. So my brain was constantly focused on that. 
and then I just collapsed, you know, after that. And then he was more kind of noodling, just uh, doing stuff, uh, practicing half an hour a day and, and stuff like that. So, so I really do believe that you need to have that kind of intensity if you want that last bit of, of virtuosity, which is not necessary at all. Because once you have it, it's just like, yeah, it's cool, but, you know, it's... I'm going to get to use it once per song for about eight bars. <laughs> well, you pick a, you know, you pick a style where you can use it all the time, like metal or, you know, every, everything's about, or flamenco or whatever. But, but it's really like, it's really like, you know, there's a lot of things you can learn. There's vibrato and there's scales and there's all kinds of stuff you can learn in order to really play cool solos. And then there's just that one little thing that's speed, you know, going to, uh, and it's, 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 a, it's a disproportionate amount of time to spend on just learning that. But I was just fired up, fired up on that. I was sure, and that's what's one of the secrets as well. When I was 16, I was sure that if I could learn to play as fast as Paul Gilbert, everything would come to me. Money, women, you know, every, everything I could ever want in my life would just, you know, come to me in avalanches because, you know, then I was that kind of guy. And so, of course, I was practicing like an idiot, <laughs> you know, intensely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I completely agree. Like, like, as soon as you said that, I'm like, oh, my goodness, I was the same way. Like, um, have it, either of you heard of the band Man of War? Yes. Yeah. 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 All right. So the Kings of Metal album that came out in about 1988, um, somebody handed it to me in high school because I was a bass player and I've primarily been a bass player all my life. <clears throat> and Joey DeMaio does Flight of the Bumblebee on bass guitar. Okay. It, it's the most insanely fast thing I've ever, ever in my life heard on a bass guitar. So for like the next two years, I was working on it on and off because like I would, I would get frustrated after like a month or so, take a break, work it again. I've never hit it. Never in my life has it ever sounded in my head the way I wanted it to sound, you know? No. But, but like I, I was in that exact same thinking as you, Klaus. Like if I can just hit this, I will be the bass player and all my you know, music dreams will come true. Yeah. Yeah. You'll be in the best band and you'll have, you know, all the, yeah. Every, everything will come together around that. But, but I, yeah, but, but so, but what I'm really fascinated about is really that the, the main reasons for, you know, if you, you talked about the perfect practicing routine, mm -hmm. whether you could kind of construct a, this routine will bring me to the place I want to be. And I really believe that most of that is not in the stuff we do. Of course, there's strategies and methods and stuff you do, whether you practice fast or slow or whatever you're practicing. But I really do believe that, that, that what stops people and what, you know, what determines whether people get there or not is not, is not in that as such. It's in, it's in what goes on in your head and your emotions. You know, how do you deal with frustration? How do you deal with the fact that it seems... At that every bit of the way, it seems that you're not going to learn this. You're not going to learn to play the, 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 the bumblebee thing that fast. It's like, it's like, it's, it's almost like if you haven't already done it, you aren't believing it. You just hope to achieve it. And so you build your, it's all hope really. And then, and, and so you're, you're uncertain all the way. And so there's this constant going back and forth between, I can do it, and then, oh, I give up. I can do it, and then back, you know, that's the way it was for me anyway. 
And I was lucky to have a father who, who, who never entertained the idea that I couldn't do it. He just wouldn't. He just said, of course you can. What a ridiculous idea. Nice. But they, these guys have talent. They have all, what a ridiculous idea. Of course you, you just get back to practicing. And it was the same uh, repeat message every single time. So, so I just kept on going. So how did you change your approach? Like, because, I mean, if you, you, you hit a roadblock, right, you get stuck. Like, for me, I've never, ever achieved Fly the Bumblebee. But I did achieve um, the Red Hot Chili Peppers higher ground, that slap technique. That yeah, took yeah. me a solid year to get that bounce slap technique <laughs> that they had. I you remember know? that year, actually. And, no, we hadn't <laughs> met yet. We hadn't met yet. Okay. This you would have been like my, my freshman year of college working on it because I got the tab in one of the guitar magazines. And I worked on it every day for a year and I, I would take breaks and I'd come back to it. But like once I got it, it's muscle memory. I can do it without even thinking about it now. Yeah. And I can teach a student to do it. And typically, I'd say like, you know, three to six months, depending on how much practice they want to put in. Because now that I understand the technique, like really understand the mechanics of the technique, it's easy to communicate. So how did you get past those kind of black or blocks rather and try to get, um, you know, try to try to figure out like understanding the technique? Because I think yeah. I think that's where a lot of musicians run into roadblocks. Yeah. I really think that there's there's a uh, distinct difference between me and and a lot of other people because I was uh, as fascinated with how to do it as I was with actually being able to do it because my you know my dad was a teacher my mom was a teacher I, I just I was just I was just really it was like a science project how do you do this how do you learn to do something that looks absolutely impossible and feels impossible so it was it was as much as it was. Yeah, I was always testing out methods because no one could teach me how to do it. I was just mimicking people like John McLaughlin, Paul Gilbert, uh, Aldi Miola, people who looked like they had a good sound uh, technique that didn't involve too many shortcuts and pig slanting and up and down and all kinds of uh, weird movements. And then I was just trying to, to figure out what gave me what results. So, so instead of being like, I haven't got results, failure, I was, I was more like, this didn't yield any result. What if I did this instead? And then, and then I tried that out for four weeks, like a maniac, just really tested it. And then gradually I, I came up with stuff that worked. I, I went from this trying to practice faster and doing the metronome game, as I call it, to doing slow repeat TV practice where I was um, just performing every movement absolutely perfect. And, and then I just... You know, I just experienced results there. So, so I, wasn't, I wasn't as focused as you might expect on the results I was, of, of actually getting there, mm -hmm. but as much on whether or not I could find the right strategy. And then I, if I found a strategy that worked, I was all like, you know, communicating it to my friends in high school and, and I was all excited about it. Um, and that's so that's I, actually really interesting because that is that's actually why I started buying your stuff is because okay. it's like, <laughs> you know, it's 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 half guitar, half philosophy. And that's <laughs> and that's what got me into all of your stuff, because that is a lot like what I try and do now. Like I'm I'm still on a on a binge now with trying to find the, you know, the perfect pick angle, the perfect guitar neck angle all of yeah. that stuff. And it's, it's a matter of sitting there and, and playing with it. And, you know, to have somebody who has 
figured out some aspect that you're still trying to figure out, go, this is how I did it. I'll tell you what, uh, one of the big revelations for me was that when people are demonstrating, because, you know, let's face it, we all we all did guitar during the 80s. We were all into the hair bands, okay? True. But when, when you bought the videos, way back when we had video cassettes, you remember yeah. those kids? VHS. Uh, <laughs> VHS. Mm-hmm. Um, and beta for a little while. Um, but when you had those videos and they're like, oh, this is what it looks like slowly, you know, <laughs> it, it dawned on me at some point that the technique between slow and fast was a lot different. You know, the yeah. faster they play, the smaller and more controlled the movements get. Well, yeah. it took me years to realize that. For years and years and years, I was practicing, you know, with exaggerated movements slowly and couldn't figure out why I couldn't speed it up. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But those are really, you know, recognizing, but because it's amazing that, that it's not out there, that it's not, you know, that we, 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 because people are basically musicians. So whenever, and, and we, you know, some people seem to get there faster than other people. And then when they teach, it's just like, this is what I did. And then you just do that a lot of times. And then you get to that point where it, it's fast, but they don't really, they, they don't, don't have a distinct idea of what, why, why did I actually get to the point where I could do this? And why all of these people, these 99 other people out of 100, out of 100 why don't they arrive at the same point as me? And because of those, because of the, and I'm not putting anybody down here, but because of the, the coolness of being one of those people who made it, of, of being one of the few who actually achieved this goal, then, then there's not a lot of interest, really. Even though they're teaching, uh, a lot of interest in going into and saying, okay, if you don't have any talent, if you don't have any gifts as to that you just come up with the right practice method, what do you do then? If you're just a regular guy like me, how do you actually achieve something superhuman if you're not superhuman? And, that, and these people who, you know, the stars of the trade, of the industry, uh, many of them actually were very lucky to pick the right strategy or to be passionate enough or to have enough time and enough passion at the right moment when they were young to be so absorbed by it that they just pushed through all the lousy strategies that they used. Uh, and came up with something that then worked uh, in the end. But but it's not out there. It's like, okay, this is how you do it, and then you just repeat that a lot of times. But that, you know, practice, 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 and that's like, it's just not all of the story. It's not the, the whole story. And, and that's so. where I really think you're onto something, Klaus, because like once once Nirvana happened, and I, I give Nirvana a lot of crap for this, um, but once Nirvana happened, I yeah. noticed like what Sue was talking about off air, where you started seeing a decline in the seriousness of the student. And when I say the seriousness, I mean like understanding the gravity of what they're entering into because they're like, well, you know, this is just a couple cores. I don't have to practice this hard because you had all these grunge artists that were like, no, I don't practice. I don't do this. I don't do that. And then now 20 years later, they all have admitted to how much woodshedding they did. And they studied this artist and that's artist, but they wouldn't talk about any of that at the time, you know? And so they, they, I, I really I really hold them responsible for creating like this terrible vacuum of bad music. Um, <laughs> just where like I really do. Like I'm I'm really, really rough on about it. But then like to Sue's point she made earlier about, you know, the students saying, Oh, I can just Google that chord. 
like I ran into a guy when I was traveling in Tampa last week. He's um he's you know brand new guitar player. Oh, I've been playing about six or eight months, and I'm watching him. And technique's terrible. He's barely grabbing the thing. He's like, yeah, some of my friends are taking lessons, but you know what what they're doing for like you know three four lessons in a row. I can get that from one video. And yeah. I looked at him. I said, yeah. I said, but what about your technique? blank look on my face or in his face rather and he, he just kind of turned his head to the side i'm like so look at my hands when i play i said watch what's going on here and i just you know show him some basic physiology of of like you know if your thumb's in the right place then that helps you put your finger on the tip and then you're working less in like all those basic things that took me years to grasp you know yeah. and then all of a sudden like it, you could see like a little light bulb going off like oh so whether or not he's going to go look for a local teacher in the Tampa area, I don't know. But I think he's at least going to watch those videos differently. Yeah. 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 But it's, yeah, it's just a matter of how you enter. I think many times it's a matter of how you enter into playing the instrument. So, so what is, what, what, what is it about? You know, what is it about? What am I supposed to learn here and how am I supposed to go about it? And you know, if Nirvana is it's your is your heart, and I love Nirvana, I have to say, I that, do too. That, I, yeah, I hate that, to admit it, but I do too. Just yeah, uh. you know, coming up with uh, you know four completely unrelated chords, and then you know composing a melody on top of them yeah. that actually sounds good. Yeah, but but it was the end of <laughs> of the skilled musician. Uh, <laughs> In to some respect. Hopefully we're making a comeback. Um, I have noticed a parallel. Uh, both Aaron and I follow uh, another guitarist online, Simon Powis, who has a classical site. And I notice in going back and forth between like the two of you that you have a lot of similar uh, philosophies. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually does a lot of the same things with the, you know, stop and look at what you're doing and make sure it's right. And, you know, he had this, I can't even remember what the blog post was, but you were playing like a C major scale for an entire 15 minute block. And that's all you were doing. Metronome on quarter notes, 15 minutes. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, by the time I was done with that exercise, just trying it for the heck of it, like the scale actually started sounding like music. So as you, you know, as you're listening to it and you're making these minor adjustments and you're going, because you know we all know playing on an electric is way different than playing on an acoustic which is way different than playing on a classical you know the you know you're like okay i've been playing slop on an electric for so long that the classical is giving me problems even though the strings are only nylon by the time you're done really digging into what you're doing and what you're playing the, the result is entirely different yeah than than when you started and it was just 15 minutes yeah, quite, quite possibly the longest 15 minutes of my life, but it was, you know, it was only 15 minutes. Yeah. So I was going to add that same thing, Sue, because like I was following a very similar thing with, with um, Simon's method. Like I literally got out the journal, journal, everything, but I only had like 45 minutes to practice, maybe 30. So I'm doing five minutes on a scale. I, I can't believe you could do 15 because after five, I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm still playing the scale. Please tell me five minutes is up and it's like two and a half. You know, so yeah. I like that's that's it's very it's very focused and like you know Sue's pointing out, you really start to think about it differently. Yeah, but also that kind of idiotic machine-like repetition of something very small is one of the 
ab- is absolutely one of the keys to developing that uh, kind of accurate, uh, uh, you know, being able to play or develop skills that seem uh, alien-like. Um, and but it's so boring. It's so amazingly boring to to sit there. And even if you if you set your start your watch and you know, it, fifteen minutes as you said seems like an eternity or just five minutes. And we think we've been practicing for ten minutes, but it was only two because it, it felt like ten because just going up and down. So what I did was I instead of learning actually I, I wanted to say that with the bumblebee thing there instead of attacking that. I, 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 I got to the point where I said, okay, what does this involve? What techniques and what skills, actual minute little skills does this piece involve? And then I boiled it down to just one or two exercises of six notes. You know, just something like just a loop that I could repeat without stopping. Um, and then what I did, what I came up with was... I would practice that with a metronome for like, you know, 15 minutes uh, and then do something else and then practice it with a metronome again or like 30 minutes until I had the accents right, until I could play it without thinking about it. So I actually embedded it at a slow level of pace within my body so my body could do it unconsciously. And then I sat down in the couch and then I just watched sitcoms and crap TV for like four or five hours while going da 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 just controlled accuracy with no mistakes. And that was absolutely the breakthrough for me. Uh, because then suddenly I could do that like for eight hours a day or like six hours. And then after six hours of doing something as concentrated and as minute as that, there was an actual improvement, like measurable. I was faster and it still felt slow to me. It still felt like it, this is the same. It feels exactly as easy as before, as six hours ago, but it's faster. So, and in that way, when I play fast now, it really feels slow. It feels like it's just, it's just like brushing my teeth. It's just easy. <laughs> it's, it really is. And it, so it's not like it's, I can play, you know, three notes, da-da-da, or I can play da-da-da. It, 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 there's absolutely no difference in the brain because it's the same thing that happens uh, and the exact same amount of control. And it's because and that was really the that muscle memory of the technique. Yeah, and the technique. And then I could move to playing pieces or a biggest – and that was a, that's a whole different thing than taking that um, – that those exercises and say, okay, now I know three of these exercises. How do I combine them? How do I actually construct them? Because after two years of doing that and doing mostly that, I could play nothing. I could play like, you want to see something cool? And then I could go, and then you want to see another cool thing? And that was the whole thing. But I couldn't use that in any context at all because I couldn't go, you know, if I had, I had to use a break in the solo, just wait a minute, I'm just going to, and then I have to stop it and go back to soloing. And so then integrating that and being able to actually use it was something quite different. Uh, but that was really the breakthrough. When we're talking about perfect practice routines, it of course depends on what you, what you want to become good at. Um, so, and, and I really, when, if we're I'm just going to come back to the, the initial thought with uh, whether or not you practice 12 hours a day for three years every day, uh, then what really needs to happen if you want to get to that level 
is that you have to focus on that little part there uh, like that for an extended period of time. And I actually got the idea from seeing Paul Gilbert practice backstage in a little short clip, I think it's on YouTube still, um, uh, where he just sits and does a little sweet picking exercise with no sound on, just focusing on the technique without the notes in, in, in the left hand. The click, 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 but he was playing, playing it relatively slow. Um, but that absolutely was the biggest breakthrough, that kind of intense uh, uh, thing there. And so, but, but, uh, but I can teach all day, I can you know, produce course after course, but most people don't really get how anal you have to be. How, how you know, because now I've been doing this for like three months, and, but the intensity with which you do it, that kind of the, that the brain doesn't do anything but that for eight hours in one day. It, you almost you shock the brain, the neurons in the brain goes, what the what is happening? <laughs> Why is this so important suddenly to playing three? Are you insane? But then it, 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 it seems like it lifts it up. It, it gets a whole different kind of priority, just like when you're lifting weights, weights and you're breaking apart the muscle fibers. It, it's like the body says, oh, we can't do this. We have to get better. We have to build more muscle. And the same way, you know, people say, okay, I practice a lot. I practice, you know, like two hours a day. But you go to work for eight hours. You sleep for seven hours. And you, you, you spend time with your kids for three hours. You do all kinds of things. And then you practice for two hours or one hour. How is the brain going to put developing your skills on the highest shelf in your life if you do not shock it like that? You know, like, like suddenly do eight hours of just intense practicing of just that one thing in your pajamas, in front of the TV, just building that, 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 that pattern there. And I, you know, that's just, just wanted to say that because, <laughs> because I really do profoundly believe that if you want to get to that extra level of skill, that's what you have to do. And anyone can do that. You just break all the barriers of having talent and, you know, all of that. Because, and if you look at every virtuoso out there, that's what they did. They did not practice for 12 hours for four or five years or for 10 years for that matter. But they had these intense periods of just being with the instrument, going through those patterns over and over and over again. And one of the actual, one of the ways out of learning your technique at that level is practicing an entire song like, what do you call it again? The bumblebee, the chase of the whatever. Oh, the flight of the, flight of the bumblebee. The flight of them, because there's just too much in there to get to that kind of intense. Uh, so you really have to move from playing songs to just focusing on building technique. To move completely away from music and just into that eh, anal, just up and down, whatever. Let me see. We've got outside string shifts and we got inside or we got whatever it is that you're practicing. And then you just repeat it like insanely, you know. It's, um, yeah. See, but then again, is that what you want? And I think a lot of people don't really want that that much, as I said. I, I think I for a lot of people, it, it's, it's more of a, a pipe dream. It's more of a gee, I wish I could. And, you know, I think, I know one of my frustrations as a, as a teacher, when I was teaching face to face, uh, you know, and I was doing it full time is that, you know, how badly do you want this? Yeah. You know, if you want to strum a few chords and sing around a campfire, you've got it already. You don't need me. 
you know, <laughs> but, but <laughs> yeah. you know, if you want to Google a song and strum three chords over and over again and use a capo, you don't need me. No, you know, <laughs> you, you really, really don't. But, you know, and, and being so passionate about it and knowing like, I, um, I'm going to guess that you and I are about the same age, but I started playing when I was about six. I started first noodling with, with my dad's old classical when I was about six. So, you know, at this point, I've got 40 years of guitar under my belt, probably 39 of which are random noodling, but I digress. <laughs> uh, you know, I've got 40 years of guitar under me. And to do anything like that for 40 years, you have to be passionate about it. You know, um, and when you run into somebody who's just, yo, gee, I wish I could you know, I wish I could be an opera singer, but I'm not willing to put that much effort into my vocals because I'm more into guitar. You know, I'm not willing to put that much effort into a lot of things because I'm just more into guitar. And again, don't know what, what things are like out there in Denmark, but here, these kids now are into so many things. You know, they've got soccer, they've got hockey, they've got football, and they've got, you know, and all the seasons overlap. And in the middle somewhere, they're like, oh, yeah, I want to learn to play the guitar. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't work. You know, yeah. I've got a lot of things going on, too. Most of them are guitar-related. But, you know, when you have too much on your plate, you have to pick and choose. And yeah. they don't. They just want to do everything. So yeah. there is, I think, a general lack of focus for most students. It's kind of a nice to have, I'll do it on the weekends, whatever. Yeah. Um, or actually, my parents were the ex uh, almost the exact opposite of yours, where I got, you know, go to school, get a good job, good yeah. benefits, all that good stuff, and you can play your guitar at night and on the weekends. Yeah. It's like, yeah. no, that's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, mom. Sorry, dad. Um, no. <laughs> but, you know, I think a lot of times it boils down to what you really want. And it's kind of a nice to have for most people. If they can, you know, play in church on Sundays or play around the campfire when they go out camping yeah. or whatever, they're fine. Yeah, and that's, that's also that is fine. You know, if that's what you want, then that's exactly what you should do. <laughs> But, but, but yeah, and it's a pipe dream them if you, mm -hmm. but I think again, when, when I was, even though if you're very committed to your instrument and learning and all of that, then I, I'm pretty sure that Aaron, I said that around the bumblebee thing and practicing yeah. a whole song, the, the guys that did that actually became very well-rounded, very skilled musicians. And I was watching those on stage when I, when I was, uh, when I was had been in my dark chamber for three years practicing technique, and I just thought, oh my god, he, he played he, he, that sounds so good, and I can do none of that, and I had to learn all of that afterwards, um, because I'd been so so focused on that technique part alone. Um, but so it's also, what are you committed to? Are you committed to the music? And I think if you're committed to the music, it's irresistible to just to knock your head on something that really sounds cool, that really, oh, I think if I could learn that piece, that would be just awesome. And that, then that's what motivates you. And I think very few people are motivated by the, by the, the because it has really little to do with, with uh, being fascinated with music. What I was, that I was fascinated with the guy with the Ferrari. I was fascinated with the one who could pick fast. Yeah. And that was what I wanted to learn. 
And then secondly, music was pretty cool. Um, so, so it's, it's, yeah. So I think the, the perfect practice routine is really about what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? Do you want that, those campfire songs? Do you want to be like a guy who can do studio musician jobs? Do you want to do a little of everything? What is that? What are you really, what are you up to? <laughs> from, yeah. from my perspective, like, so I started playing trombone when I was third or fourth grade. Like what, of all instruments, yeah, yeah, and and so and which shocked my parents. They expected me to bring home a drum, and um, <laughs> it, it it's funny. Like trombone was the perfect instrument because I learned how to read bass clef. I learned how to read it very proficiently. Uh-huh. I had to develop an ear because there's no there's no hey just push this button and you it know? makes this note. Like you had to work on your ear to play it. And then yeah. I play bass guitar and then eventually upright bass. So all those things like really helped me develop. But so yeah. You figure I was I was a terrible practicer. Like my mom would make me practice. I'd maybe get thirty minutes of trombone in a day. You know, you get into middle school, and what really helped me, and like Sue and I were talking about this yesterday, and just reading your email, like what to help me become the musician I am today was being immersed in it because of band. Because I mean, like you know, once I hit high school, we had practice probably every day, a couple marching band practices for like a couple hours a night. And I mean, you're not playing the entire time. We're doing a lot of walking, or in my case, I did a lot of push-ups because I acted out. Whole another story, <clears throat> right? But so yeah. you, you've got those things going on, and then I get to college, and that's probably some of my most productive like musical time because I was in all these ensembles surrounded by the, all these other musicians and then still teaching at the time. So I wasn't practicing per se as much as I probably should have, but there was some sort of instrument in my hand, minimum of three to four hours a day, every day, yeah. you know, except yeah. for weekends. Yeah. And that's, that's interesting because to Klaus's point, I know we, one of, one of the other discussions we were having as an offshoot of that was, you know, that you always managed to land first chair or almost always managed to land first chair when someone else who was basically in the same environment didn't. So Which I don't understand. Well, and clearly then you were making different choices or absorbing, picking up on different things than what she or he was picking up on. Um, and I think that's, that's part of the, you know, I know I've, I know we, you and I talk a lot about practicing and, and how to practice and what to practice and all that good stuff. And I know we're both kind of in a major kind of experimental phase right now with what we're practicing. And I yeah. think that's the key. What you picked up on was what was helpful to you. And you probably didn't even realize it at the time. Um, and she was probably going, you know, this, this other individual, she, he, I can't remember was probably, um, going home and practicing and not really practicing or not paying attention to how she practiced or not paying attention to what was going on. Cause I know, um, when I do pay attention to what's going on, I, my, my playing has changed immensely in, um, you know, just the past what year or two year, year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was, you know, for a while, and you you know this, when I was teaching uh, 50, 60 students a week, I was not practicing. <laughs> I, was, I, I, I was teaching, and I was teaching Mary Had a Little Lamb for, what, 
50, 60 hours a week. So I lost a fair bit of what I had gained <laughs> during, <laughs> during my insanely misspent youth. So uh, in an attempt to regain that and regain it more quickly than the you know 20 years that it took me to get the first time, um, I've actually been paying a lot more attention and I think that might be the key. You know, one thing may not work for you and one thing, you know, what may work for you doesn't work for someone else. But I think the key is trying to figure out what does work for you and keep just working through that and keep trying different things. Yeah. And then, of course, depending on what you're practicing, because one thing is practicing technique, then there's practicing. How do you learn to improvise, for instance? How do you learn to play solos on, you know, how do you learn to become very good at playing rhythm stuff? And it's all different processes, really, uh, that involves more or less creative work or, you know, doing stuff that you can't do. You do it anyway until it sounds good uh, because you learn in that. There's so many ways of practicing depending on what it is that you want to learn because playing that instrument is just a multi-faceted thing, really. Um, you can, of course, learn to, you know, read notes, play stuff, you know, you know, like a classical musician. But when you're playing like rock music, jazz music, whatever, there's so you have to really, as you said, Aaron, learn to use your ear to a uh, much greater extent, really, um, because you're not basing everything on reproducing something that someone else played. You have to come up with that bass part or you have to you have to be able to add those parts to to whatever you're doing. Um, and how do you learn to do that? And most people just rely on experience, really. But are there ways in which you can practice, actually practice things that most people just um, put on experience? Like, you know, most people say, OK, here, here's the scales, here's the couple of licks and or, you know, many licks, whatever. You practice a lot of licks and then you practice the scales and then you just go improvise. Just go build your own solos. And that approach actually works. But very few of us are asking the question, what how what what is the result that I get from that approach? Where does that take me? We just accept every way of practicing like, okay, that's what we do then. But that but then you just end up and that's cool. If that's what you want, then take a, a player like Guthrie Govan, for instance. Oh, he's, he's amazing. Able, he's amazing. And absolutely amazing. He's, he's able to sound like any player out there. You know, play country, play chicken picking, whatever. Just pick pick your thing. And in the beginning, I had a hard time really, really uh, um, figuring out what his sound was. You know, when is, when is he, because he was so all over the place. He was just amazing. I was just like, how did this guy learn everything all at once? How can he do the tapping part and the, the shredding and, the, and the, the, you know, everything just sounded like it came out of a perfect box of perfection. <laughs> And, and that's one type of being able to play guitar. How did he do that? And how did, you know, uh, a, a totally different player like Ingvi Malmsteen, for instance, if we, if we stay in the shredding business there, yeah. uh, how, how did he develop that kind of anarchy in his playing, that kind of, uh, you know, you can always hear when he's playing. There's no doubt when he's playing. And then, of course, there's a lot of copycats, me being one of them, but... There's, there's that very signature sound that comes out of his way of practicing, his unstructured, you know, just haphazardly developing his picking technique. And most people don't like, really like to hear me say that, but 
he has one of the most interesting picking techniques. So it really is homegrown. And then people study it and try to learn it as well. But do you really want to pick like him? I mean, <laughs> it's good for him because yeah. that's the sound he gets. But do you really want to learn that? You know, it's like, it's like seeing a runner who runs like no one in the entire world. And he does it really well. And then everyone tries to copy him. It, it, instead of really looking at what kind of a player do we really want to become? I don't know if this makes sense, but it's just like, it's just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, you know, if you, if you learn a lot of licks, then you probably will sound a lot like those licks that you learn. So you might want to choose your licks carefully. <laughs> if you learn sequences, for instance, if you learn a mathematical ways of moving your fingers and you learn a lot of them, like classical players when they practice, and then you, you practice, you never learn a lick in your life, and then you practice ending and beginning those sequences, combining them, then what happens then? What kind of playing style or improvisational style do you then develop? What if you listen to play, you know, this, yeah. So, so I think a lot of those questions are interesting when you talk about how we teach or how, how we just present people. Because what most comes out of us is, this is the way I learned it. This is the way you learn to play this instrument. Mm -hmm. This is how we do it. And then you do that as well. Uh, and, you know, there are, there are two really interesting points in what you brought up. The first is the picking thing, because I was, uh, when I finally started taking real lessons and I finally got serious about guitar, I started in classical. Um, my classical teacher wasn't really a classical teacher and I didn't know better at that time. So I kind of got frustrated with classical cause I wasn't being taught properly and didn't really get to where I wanted to go. No. So I switched to jazz and, you know, for the longest time I was a strict alternate picker. You know, all, all of my friends would come up to me and go, Hey, have you heard about this new economy picking? Which... <laughs> I'll be like, no, that's just wrong. We don't do that. We do alternate picking. And I was, I was so rigid. And, you know, I eventually softened and went into, uh, you know, attempting economy picking. And like after two or three weeks of doing that, uh, I was like, wow, not yeah. only is this more efficient, I've actually just increased my speed. So, you know, that whole picking thing I don't think we pay enough attention to it. I think we lock ourselves into one or the other. Now, if I'm doing some jazz style stuff, yeah, I'll go back to alternate picking because I like that sound over jazz, but now I have options. And yeah. when I was rigidly locked into alternate picking and alternate picking only and strict alternate picking only, you know, not only did I have a lot of problems playing a lot of things, um, but I didn't have the options and I couldn't understand why I couldn't get better at certain things. No. Um, and then I totally forgot what my second point was because I talked too much. Oh, crap. Yeah, I, I, I have that same problem. <laughs> Get out of the path and then... Yeah, you, I had an idea there. So, uh, but, <laughs> but that gave me another idea, actually, because one of the things that holds us back more than anything else is that, that we human beings tend to make everything a religion. Yes. So we attach our identity to a freaking picking technique. <laughs> That's amazing. So I'm all about alternate picking. Really? Guilty. Guilty as charged. Yeah. Guilty. 
like, you know, I heard Ali Miola say that all you want to do is alternate picking, unless, of course, that you're doing, you know, you're picking two or uh, three strings in a row and they all, then you can, of course, and so on. But it becomes like an identity. And then we try to defend alternate picking, you know, like we defend a brand of cars or a brand of cigarettes, if that's what we, whatever it is, you yeah. know, and, and it has no place in music, really, because, or it has, but... It, 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 even, you're either focused on identity or you're focused on music because every time you're focused on identity you just take a, away a lot of stuff that could make you a better musician because we don't do that or that's not proper music or I don't play, you know, I never read notes or I do read notes so that's the only thing to do and then we argue on Facebook about the craziest things when people should just be home practicing or listening to or creating music, right? Uh, and, and, and that's really a trap because, because we love that identity thing. We love it. And, and also with gear, that's another thing that, that we go into gear and then we suddenly have this idea that, that I can't, I cannot live with a guitar that is produced outside of the United States of America. That is unacceptable to me. You know, like people, it's, if it's produced on one side of if Fender is a very good example yeah. that we yeah, that if it's produced on that side of the border then it's worth a lot of money has a totally different quality than it's if it's produced just a little bit you know just a few a half day of a drive on the other side of the border then it's a completely different instrument and it's two pieces of wood plucked together with screws guys yeah. and of course i love really high class instruments and i love when the, the wood is perfect and the, you know the frets are just and you know some guy who's really into it spend a lot of hours just perfecting it, everything i love that but we tend to attach to a brand or you know i i'm a i'm a cool person so i should have a cool instrument uh and and if you have a not so cool instrument you're not so cool and it's it all it's just a you know it's just uh what do you call it you know, it's like taking the wrong road and then he's just gone. Okay, yeah. where did Willie, he wanted to be a great musician. Yeah, but he's all about, he's all about, you know, uh, great guitars now. Or he's all about alternate picking. Or <laughs> he's all about, you know, playing advanced music. Or if a song has less than three chords in it, it's not worth playing or whatever it is, right? Yeah, and so, I own a Mexican Strat. Like, I... It's funny because, like, I have American standard strats. I, I've got, you know, the American P bases from the 80s, that sort of stuff. But um, my, my Mexican strat I bought for maybe 400 bucks used, and it had upgraded pickups, and I think that's the only reason it was that much. But um, it's one of the best guitars I own. Yeah. You know, you'd never, you, I don't feel that big of a difference between the USA and the Mexican, but like the USA I bought for my son for the year he was born. And that was just because, like, my P base is a USA made. I I wanted him to have that as an heirloom as he got older. But really, like to your point, my Mexican Strat's amazing. I think my Strat's yeah. Mexican as well. Yeah. No, no, no worries, no problems with it at all. No, no, no. But you know, I I really I feel the, I you know I I I, I can feel the brand as well. I can feel the fact that, that it says Squire on my Squire guitar. And it says Fender on another guitar. It's not like it, it matters. Of course it does. It, it's just because that's who we, that's what we are. We yes. just can't, uh, we can't, we can't, you know. And when we start in a band, we want to, you know, we want, here's my gear, here's my skills. And, you know, and if the gear is just, you know, 
Chinese or whatever it is, but but it's we just have to be be careful not to be completely lost in it. Um, and I think a lot of people tend to do that. I and mean, you can just see if you see any website, you know, let's take the Fender website for instance. What do you have on the front page? Signature instruments. And I think what you said, Susan, about uh, students kind of not really wanting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like buying a buying a guitar sometimes becomes an extension of being a fan of somebody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you're a fan of whatever artist, and you buy his. It always didn't make sense to me. And I, it, people who do it are welcome to do so because that's their thing. But it, I don't want to own somebody else's guitar. And if I did, I would put it in a, a you know a glass closet so I could watch it and say, oh, look at that. It's a complete replica of what he plays. But I wouldn't want to play it because I want to fi- figure out how do what do I want. Yeah. I want to you know figure out the perfect instrument for me, of course. But I think it becomes an identity. Like I want to be like him, so I I play his instrument, uh, and that all you know sometimes distracts us from from learning the the hard skills of music, from putting in the the the, the cool hours of actually uh, actually becoming like these people, actually having the, the, the base of being able to do the same stuff they did, but in your way. You know, I think my ultimate wake-up call on the whole gear thing was uh, way back in the neo-prog movement in the, in the 80s and 90s, uh, Marillion came over to the States, and of course a bunch of us went to see them. And I actually got to talk to Steve Rothery, which was, you know, ultimately cool for a 20-something yeah. at the time. And he just looked at me and went, yeah, my main guitar is a Squire Strat. I just swapped out the pickups and put a different tremolo on it. Like, yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> and it made your brain hurt, right? You're like, well, it, no, it did. No, it can't be it. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, I mean, he did. He did break out the Steinberger, and of course, as a big Ned Steinberger fan, um, uh, you know, he did break out a Steinberger on stage a couple of times. But that whole night, he played a Squire Strat, and I think. Um, I know, uh, I just actually, I don't have it here. I think it's on loan to a friend, but I had a, I don't know, $200 piece of crap Dean guitar that I slapped a couple of hundred dollar each pickups in. And that's probably one of the sickest sounding guitars I've ever heard now. And I mean, Dean's always had nice necks, I thought. So it, it plays like a dream and now it sounds awesome. And, you know, after a little, little elbow grease on the trim to get it where it should be and get the action set. Uh, that's a nice guitar. I mean, it was a huge, huge wake-up call when I was, you know, twenty, twenty-five, however old I was at that point. And Steve Rothery's going, "Yeah, I, I play a Squire." What? <laughs> yeah. You do what? Yeah. But also, ha- it's also cool that you have a guitar that you don't. You know, I own a couple of expensive guitars, and I don't want people to come near them. You know, I, yeah. I take them down from the, from the stand. I use a stage stand in my in my videos, and I take it down from there, put it on a real stand, and take care of it. And my squires, even though I love them as much, but for different reasons, I just I don't care. It's just it's a it's a it's a piece of it's a tool that I use, and I love that feeling of having that. You know, it's rock and roll. It's not a you know, and the wood is like in you know, and a, don't scratch it, please. You know, so it's a it's a different. It's kind of having a, a real motorcycle with grease on it, and blah, it's like it, yeah. And so, so I think it's really about again, uh, it, it 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 has different advantages, and and you get a different uh, experience out of it. 
So my biggest gear triumph came when I was in, um, man, it was my freshman year of college, um, yeah. playing in jazz band with this other bass player, and he has a Yamaha, and this Yamaha is tricked out, right? So like my, and again, like my, my P-Bass, we bought it in 1985, brand new. I think it cost maybe $435 with tax because I had that receipt like kept as like a memento for the longest time. Um, and this guy, you know, he's telling me how he spent like a thousand dollars on his, um, Yamaha and it can do this and active electronics and blah, 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 and all these (laughs) sort of things. And so I'm the first guy up in the jazz band rehearsal. We do it. We go through my songs, then we're going to play his song. So we switch out the, um, the guy running the, running the, uh, ensemble, the director, he stops the song, like only like a few bars in turns to the to the bass player with a fancy Yamaha that he's telling me sounds so much better than mine and says, hey, um, can you make that sound more like Aaron's bass? <laughs> oh, not yeah. nice. That was that was like the like the biggest triumph for me ever, because like yeah. I felt like, you know, an inch tall after he got done telling me how crappy my P bass was <laughs> because of what it couldn't do. And then the director says that I'm like, oh, I needed to hear that today, you know? <laughs> yeah you know it's also it's not in because i I started uh i mean the the acoustic guitar that i got when i started getting really serious about guitar uh was one that my parents and my brothers went and bought for me and none of them knew anything about guitars um so it was pretty much two by four strung with telephone wire that was about six feet off the neck so (laughs) possible to play yeah, it was absolutely impossible to play, but you know what? Learning on that made me twice as good yeah. on everything that came after that. Yeah. And uh, I actually still have that guitar buried somewhere. Oh, amazing! It's 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 pretty much unplayable at this point because <laughs> you know it's thirty five years old or thirty years old or whatever. But yeah. it is. I mean, just learning to play on stuff that was subpar. And I think having the drive to keep playing on on all those instruments really separates, you know, th- those of those who are serious and those who are willing to keep learning yeah. from those who are wishing. Yeah. You know, because I, I know I hear that from a lot of my students. Oh, I, I I'll practice more when I get a better guitar. No, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee you, you will not. <laughs> no, no. Here's five bucks. We'll bet on it. Talk to me in a year. <laughs> yeah yeah um, yeah right, but, so, uh, okay. i also sorry, yeah i just i saw a lot of people you know gear can also be a diver- complete diversion from from music again and if people want to do that that's just amazing with me uh but it can be a good good idea because every time i hear somebody somebody really into gear sorry aaron <laughs> <laughs> all right Really like overly into gear, not overly. Nobody's overly into gear, but every time I hear it, I have this prejudice that oh, you're you're perhaps not practicing a lot then, <laughs> because I heard I saw so many people come to me uh, that I taught uh, with the perfect guitar, the perfect amp, and it was like almost always, almost always, the people with the most expensive gear was always the people who didn't want it as much as people with the cheaper gear. Because they and they were so into all kinds of little details about amplification and and tubes or uh, all of that kind of stuff that 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 was really what they did. They just enjoyed being in the area of playing guitar and then you know discussing gear basically. 
and they just forgot about developing skills or or uh, so that I just I just noticed that a lot. Um, I kind of feel like I'm in guitar church. Klaus is just calling out all of my guitar <laughs> sins today. So. We'll fall in for confession later. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I can tell you, Klaus, that I am not practicing as much now as I used to. And it, you, you, you know, it's funny. Is like you said that. I'm like, oh, man, he just totally called me on that. I didn't realize it because um, it's mm-hmm. like for me, a new piece of gear makes me play more. And so that's yeah. been when, like, I pick up more gear because, like, I it's so so hard. Like I was telling you before we started, you know, I've got two young kids, mm-hmm. and just you know, trying to find the time we can all get together on this sort of stuff has, has been a challenge. And <laughs> so when can I practice? Because like I don't like to practice through headphones. I want to practice so I can hear the noise. Like that's that's I need to yeah. feel it, you know. And um, so for me, when I get a new pedal or something like that, like that's that will drive my practice. But you're right, I definitely don't practice as much and the, and the, the gear has, has become like almost like a way to lure myself back into it at times. Yeah. But I also tell people that, that, you know, in order to just do anything you can to get inspired, whether it's just, you know, browsing around the, the, the store or buying new gear, whatever it is, you know, whatever, whatever gives you that urge back to, to practice as long as you can afford it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but Yeah. But and, and you know whatever people do with music is, is fine. You know whatever we, however we 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 seem to enjoy or however we get to the path of of through the path of becoming better is what is what uh, you should do. And I think every teacher just really tries to just you know sell whatever way you you found your way. And that's why that's 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 why because people always often say. When, when I talk about, when I give advice on how to develop your online business or how to do online courses, then people say, oh, you're creating competitors. And I know because every teacher has, its, has his or her own um, Bible, really, of, yeah. of what's important, how to get there. And some people, what I say makes sense to some people, makes really good sense to some people. And to other people, it's just it's just BS. It has no relevance whatsoever. I talk too much. It's just, what is he doing? It's just, so everyone has its own really place in that, I think. Uh, and, and some students would, would be, feel intimidated by, or not intimidated, but just, it's just impossible, that kind of anal approach to sitting down and doing you know, strict repetitions of one little pattern in front of the TV. Some people just don't work that way. And that's not their path. And so I would just put them off. I would just never be anything good for them. So I really believe that, that whatever, yeah, whatever you feel like, really. Yeah, I'm totally <laughs> with you. Hey. And but I understand it's frustrating having student after student who doesn't really want to play guitar. They just want the image of it. I just want to, you know, yeah, I just want to become that person who can, then I played and then I was in, you know, and then I play guitar in front of the campfire and then people say, oh, you're so good at playing guitar. And then, you know, there's no real, <laughs> there's no depth to that passion there. It's just a, yeah, an identity thing, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we've been talking for about an hour here, so let's let's wrap this episode up. Um, Klaus, where can my listeners find more about you online? Uh, I have a couple of websites, but Klaus Levine, uh, I said it, Levine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, 
That's how it comes out. KlausLevin.com with a C. Klaus with a C. Um, L-E-V-I-N, by the way, because um, yeah. <clears throat> in the U.S. here, we'd be used to spelling that with a final silent E. Yes, of course. And I have Klaus Levine blog or my uh, YouTube channel. Just, you know, Google is there. So, um, yeah. And as I said, it's, it's not necessarily for you. I get a lot of – I have as many haters as I have people who, who love what I do. And that means so, you're doing it right, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, if 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 everybody loves you, you're probably not really making a difference. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. All right, and Sue, where can people find you online? Uh, SuzanneDecree.com. Um, have a new course out on chords, and also actually writing the album. It's almost written. Probably hitting the studio here early next year. Rock on. All right. So, guys, um, thank you all for listening today. Thank you, Klaus and Sue, for being here today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, um, Remember to check us out at um, Twitter and Instagram, at SGNL, the number 2NZ. And, guys, until next time, make some noise. <laughs>